I've entitled the message for tonight, Forsaking Egypt. Now this is the third of four by faith or through faith we read with regard to Moses. By faith Moses, verse 23, when he was born. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years. Uh, Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured his seeing him who is invisible. 28, through faith he kept the Passover. Now each one of these, by faith or through faith, give us some different aspect of this thing of faith. By faith he forsook Egypt. Now that word forsook is the word that is also used for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. This word forsake is the word used of Matthew when the Lord said, and I love this passage of scripture, Matthew, follow me. And he left all, there's the word, he left all, arose and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He left something, he left Egypt. Now when you come to Christ, there's something you leave. There's no coming to Christ, they're not leaving something. You leave, you utterly leave salvation by works when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He forsook Egypt. And the scripture says he didn't fear the wrath of the king. He didn't fear Pharaoh's wrath in doing so. And he endured or persevered in doing something that was seemingly impossible. He endured seeing him who is invisible. We walk by faith. Not my sight. He endured. He persevered as seeing him who is invisible. Now, this is when Moses came to Pharaoh with God's command, let my people go. Moses gave this command from God and here's Pharaoh's reply. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I know not the Lord, neither will I let his people go. Now, one of those statements was very true. When he said, I know not the Lord, he was telling the truth. He didn't know the Lord. And one statement was very false. When he said, neither will I let thy people go. Yes, you will, Pharaoh. It's going to take place. And you're going to know this in no uncertain terms. God would overwhelm Egypt with the plagues. And then when there was respite, God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Is that what it says in the Bible? Yes, it is. There are a few times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And if my heart's hardened, it's because I hardened it. But more often, as a matter of fact, much more often, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
And I will remind you of this. All God has to do to harden my heart or to harden your heart is nothing. Just leave me alone. And my heart will become hard. I won't be able to see. That is what took place with Pharaoh. Pharaoh went on to say, after the plague of hail scared him to death, he said, I've sinned this time. No, Pharaoh, you sin all the time. But Pharaoh said, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. And as soon as the thundering and the hail ceased, he hardened his heart again. It's scary, isn't it? How all these things could be done to him, and yet he would harden his heart, and God would harden his heart. Now, Pharaoh didn't want Israel to leave because Israel was a nation of slaves to them. They were building the pyramids. You've seen pictures of the pyramids. Maybe you've been to Egypt. I don't know. I mean, there are these vast, huge structures with gigantic stones cut and placed on top. And this was before there were cranes. This was before there was uh, machinery that could help in something like this. Can you imagine the manual labor that was involved in building these pyramids? High, having these stones up to a height and so on. He didn't want to let the children of Israel go because they were building the pyramids. He wanted them in bondage. And Egypt represents salvation by works. Building bricks without straw. Bondage. Labor. Effort. And the scripture says Moses didn't fear Pharaoh's wrath. And that's that because there's one he infinitely feared more. He feared the king of kings. He feared the Lord of glory. And he saw Pharaoh for what he was. God's puppet doing God's will. Now you know the plagues the Lord brought on Egypt. Let me go over them. He turned their rivers, their drinking water, their fresh water into blood. And he killed all the fish. You've smelled stinking fish. The scripture says the land stank with the smell of those fishes. And people were out digging holes trying to look for fresh water because they couldn't drink the river from the water. And then there was the plague of frogs. In your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your bathroom, everywhere you went, there were frogs. When you went to sleep at night, frogs were in your bed. Can you imagine how miserable that would be? This plague of frogs. And then there was the plague of lice. Lice covering you. Oh, Pharaoh said, Take the lice away. You couldn't stand it. Pharaoh couldn't stand it. Everybody covered with lice. As soon as the lice were gone, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The fourth plague was the plague of flies. I hate one fly. Can you imagine swarms of flies covering you, covering your skin, on you, on your food, in your bed, 
Everywhere you went, there was a swarm of flies. That would drive me crazy. Like Pharaoh, I would say, take it away and we'll give in. Well, the Lord took it away and Pharaoh hardened his heart once again. And then there was the plague of the livestock. All their cattle died. And Pharaoh sent somebody to the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel was. There wasn't one cattle, one cow that had died. All their livestock was preserved. But all of the livestock of Egypt died. They now didn't have any meat. After that, there was the plague of boils and blames covering all the Egyptian from Pharaoh to the lowest maid. Everyone was covered with these boils and blains and horrendous looking running sores. Then the plague of hail with fire coming down with it, thundering from heaven, breaking the trees, breaking. Anybody that was out in the hail was killed. The Lord said, you get Get your cattle protected. You get in a house, you'll be okay. But anybody that was left in the field was killed by that hail coming down. And that's where Pharaoh made that confession. I've sinned. Ask him to take this away. And he hardened his heart again. And after the hail, locusts covering the land. Nothing left in the land that was green. They had no meat. They had no vegetables. Nothing was left. And then there was darkness for three days. And the scripture says it was a darkness that might be felt. And no man would even rise up. They wouldn't leave their place. They were afraid of what was going to take place. Utter and complete darkness. And you know the last plague, we're going to consider that, Lord willing, next week. The firstborn being put to death. Pharaoh's firstborn died. Any animal's firstborn died. Everywhere where there was someone outside of a house with the blood, God judged that place. And the people said, please leave. Get out. Our land is destroyed. Our land is devastated. And they even gave them all their money. They gave them gold and silver. To leave the land. Uh, Pharaoh, you're going to let the people go. And you're going to be glad they leave. They said, you know, the, the Egyptians said, our land is ruined. Get them out of here. Now, during this time, during these ten plagues, Pharaoh sought to negotiate four times. I don't know if I've ever seen this as clearly as I have um, this time. But number one, God doesn't negotiate. God doesn't negotiate with sinners. God doesn't compromise. Why should he? He's God. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need to compromise anything. But Pharaoh sought for compromises. First, he said, you can go and sacrifice, but you've got to do it here. You can't leave. Second, he said, okay, you can go ahead and sacrifice, but don't go very far away. Uh, the Lord told him to go three days, which I think has something to do with the resurrection and the, the uh, uh, complete deliverance. But Pharaoh said, no, 
stay close. Moses said, no, God doesn't compromise. God doesn't negotiate. And then thirdly, he said, well, you can go just as far as you want. Go sacrifice three days away, but leave your children here. Moses said, no, we're not going to leave our children here. We're going to go just as God said for us to. And his fourth attempt at compromise was, you can go, you and your children, but leave your livestock here. Leave us your cattle. And Moses said, we won't leave a hoof behind. We're going to go three days and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, let's consider briefly these four compromises. You can believe what you want. Just don't leave us. Don't leave our church. Don't leave our assembly. I'm okay, you're okay. We can believe different, but we can be in the same place and the same thing and everything's okay. Just don't leave our church. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. God's not going to compromise. I'm not to stay in that which is corrupt in disobedience to him. Now, Pharaoh thought it could be done, but it could not be done. Then he said, well, you can sacrifice, but stay close. Don't go the three days distance. Stay close. You can still use our methods. You can still sing our songs. Uh, we're not that different. You believe your way, and we'll believe our way, but we're going to stay close. No, we're not going to stay close. How many times have you heard, what do y'all got for the kids? You can leave, but keep your children here. We've got things for the kids. We've got youth groups. We've got... Uh, we've got uh, all kinds of things to keep the kids interested and keep them in the right way. We, we can really do things to, to help the children. You leave your children here. What do y'all got for children? The gospel. That's enough, isn't it? The gospel. And then finally he said, uh, all right, you can go. Your kids can go. Leave. Do what you want. But leave us something to eat. Leave us something to live on. Give us some hope of being alive. Leave your livestock so we'll have something to eat. That's the only way we can, we can live. If you take that away, we're done. Moses said, not a hoof shall be left behind. Charles Spurgeon uh, preached the message on not a hoof shall be left behind. If you can find it anywhere and read it, it was about... Christ's effectual atonement for the elect, not a hoof will be left behind. The Lord put it this way, of all which he has given me, I'll lose nothing. I'll lose nothing. I won't lose one of them, but raise it up again at the last day. God does not negotiate. God does not compromise. God's word is absolute. He never compromises his word. Now, if he says something, that's it. That's it. There is no 
going back. Well, Moses forsook all of that. He made a clean break from all of that. He didn't fear the wrath of the king. You know, he wasn't afraid at all, I don't think. Maybe his flesh was. I don't want to say that. But he knew God was acting for him. And he did not fear the wrath of the king. He feared the king of kings. But he didn't fear the wrath of the king. I, you know, he, I, every time one of these plagues happened to Pharaoh, uh, I don't have any doubt that Moses said, Pharaoh, you don't know what you're dealing with. You have no idea of what you're bringing on yourself. He understood Pharaoh was God's pawn doing God's purpose. God said this to Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God is God. And whatever he does is right. And everything he does is good and is perfect and is just and is holy and is true. And we love everything he does because we trust his character. That's so important. I don't understand everything he does, but I love everything he does because I know he's bringing good out of it all for his glory. God is God. Pharaoh found that out. And you know, he's still hard in his heart. Even when the Lord opened up the Red Sea and the children of Israel marched through on dry land, Pharaoh's heart was hardened once again and he went after him. And God had the Red Sea drown him and all of his chariots and all of his horsemen to end it. Now back to our text anymore. Maybe we haven't left it. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith... Believing God. Well, what is faith? Faith is believing who he is. It's knowing who he is. It's believing what he said. It's trusting what he did. You know, when Drew asked us to change uh, the um, from more about Jesus to more of Jesus. I wonder if anybody's thinking, why did he do that? Well, for one thing, I, I think that's the way it ought to be saying, but think, think of the words of the Lord. Take my yoke upon you and learn about me? No. Learn of me. There's an infinite difference between learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and learning of him. I want to learn of him, don't you? I want to take his yoke upon me and learn of him. Him who is meek and lowly in heart. The Son of God, meek and lowly in heart. Well, Moses knew him and he didn't fear the wrath of the king. Now look what it says next in verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Pharaoh was mad. Pharaoh was mad. I, I love that passage of scripture. He said, you, you're not going to see my face anymore. Moses said, you said, well, you won't see my face anymore. You're right about that. And the scripture says at that time he went out in a great heat. Moses did. Pharaoh was mad, but I think maybe Moses was madder. He thought, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with this guy is what he was saying. 
But um, at any rate, through faith, by faith, he forsook Egypt, Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. As seeing him who is invisible. He endured. He, the word is he persevered. He persevered. How did he persevere? By seeing him who is invisible. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Only if you continue. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Listen to this scripture. We are made, this is found in Hebrews 3, we are made partakers of Christ. Well, I want to be made a partaker of Christ, don't you? We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence. What's the beginning of your confidence? I know what the beginning of my confidence is. Christ only. Christ is all. Christ alone. That's the beginning of my confidence. You know, when I first looked to Christ, whenever that was, I can't tell you when it was, but whenever it was, I didn't have anything else to look to. He's all I had. And it hadn't changed. And I don't want it to change. Perseverance is persevering and looking to Christ only. It's not remaining religious. You may remain religious all the way to the end and be lost as a goose. It's persevering, looking to Christ, resting in Him, feeding on Him, walking with Him all the way to the end. Now, we believe uh, what has been called the doctrine of grace. And notice I didn't use the word doctrines of grace. Every time the word doctrines is used in the scripture, in the plural, every time without exception, it's a reference to false doctrine. We believe the doctrine of grace. Now somebody says, why do you believe that? Well, you've got to begin with the scripture. It's what the Bible teaches to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And I'm going to give what are known as the five uh, points, if you will, of the one doctrine of grace. And it's all found by Christ in one single message in John chapter 6. We looked at this recently. All five of those points which make up the one doctrine of grace is in the Bible. The doctrine of grace it, God is sovereign. He's God. That's all that means. The Bible is the word of God. God is as the Bible presents it. We can't know God apart from this book. All we've got is my opinion and your opinion. That's no good. I've got to have the scriptures to tell me who God is. Now, when we talk about the doctrine of grace, um, you've all heard of the quote five points. Uh, some people have called it the five points of Calvinism, and I find that offensive. These are not the five points of Calvinism. I don't even know if Calvin believed them. I don't, those, they were given those uh, names after he was already dead. But uh, it's known as t 
total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Now, total depravity means that men are dead in sins. What can a dead man do to raise himself from the dead? Can't do it, can he? He's dead. Graveyard dead. Men are spiritually dead. If God doesn't give me life, I won't live. When we speak of total depravity, it doesn't mean everyone is axe murderers and, and bank robbers. It means every characteristic I have is under the dominion of sin. My will, my affections, my understanding, it's all under the dominion of sin. That's what total depravity means. Now somebody said, you know, you could be the bank robber or the, the, the whatever uh, uh, horrible crime you want to think. It, it's in you. And you will be that way apart from God's grace. But total depravity is not talking about people going out as axe murderers and, and robbing banks. That means every faculty, the will, the conscience. It's no good. It's defiled. It, it's, it doesn't work right. Nothing about man works. He's totally depraved. Therefore, being totally depraved, we're totally dependent upon the unconditional election of God. What is that? Before time began, God by His grace, Ephesians 1, 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Unconditional election. The only way you'll be saved and I'll be saved is if God elected me before time began. Do you have any problem with that? You know, the fact of the matter is the only way I'll be saved is if He elected me. Election doesn't damn people who would have been saved. Election saves people who would have been damned if there were not electing grace. Thank God for God's electing grace. L, limited atonement in the acrostic of tulip, limited atonement. Some people don't like that term, and I can understand that because people think, well, it's, it's limited in its power, but that's not what that means. It means it was limited to the elect. Jesus Christ died for the elect particular redemption, definite atonement, call it what you want. It means that a real substitution took place and Christ actually paid for the sins of his people. They're gone. I, invincible, irresistible grace. This is talking about the work of God the Holy Spirit. He gives life to all those the Father elected and all those Christ died for. He gives life irresistibly and invincibly. He says, live, and you live. Now, what is the evidence that God elected you, Christ died for you, and God the Holy Spirit gives you life? What we read of in our text, he endured. He persevered all the way to the end. He persevered looking to Christ. Now that's what perseverance is. It's looking to Christ. That means relying on Him only. You look to Him. You don't look to your works. You don't look to anything else. You look to Him only all the way to the end. Now these 
uh, five points, if you want to call them that, they all go together. They stand or fall together. You can't believe one of them and not believe the other four. You can't believe four and not believe the fifth. I've heard of people who claim to be one-pointers and two-pointers. Well, that's pointless. <laughs> you, that, that's what Tim James said. That's, that's pointless. Uh, you, you believe grace, the doctrine of grace, and you persevere all the way to the end. I continue to looking to Christ only. That's what perseverance is. It's not just staying religious. It's continuing to believe the gospel all the way to the end. It's the it's, if my last step into heaven is dependent on anything I have to do, I'll miss heaven and go to hell. You believe that? Your last step. We're totally dependent upon him at all times. The wayside here never began. The stony ground here fell away. The thorn choked here bore no fruit. It was the good ground here that endured. And that's what caused this perseverance, this enduring unto the end. Now, in our text, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did he endure? Seeing him who is invisible. Now, how in the world do you do that? By faith. We walk by faith. I can't see the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen him physically. But I've seen him who is invisible. I've seen him in his word. I've seen him in the preaching of the gospel. I've seen him in his people. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now the people who do not endure, who do not persevere, it's because they have never seen him that is invisible. That's why they can leave. They've never really seen him who is invisible. They've never seen that one who is the express image of the invisible God. They've never beheld the glory of Jesus Christ. They know nothing of the joy and the peace of believing. They've never rested in Christ. They're a stranger to Christ is all. That's meaningless to them. They might be able to quote it and kind of... Uh, um, Say it out loud, but it doesn't really mean anything to them. They just know to say it. It's cliche to them. They don't really understand the glory of Colossians 2.10. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in a body, and you are complete in him. You ever see that? You'll persevere. You won't have anywhere else to go. You won't have any else, anywhere else to look. You will persevere all the way to the end if you have seen him. Now, I've seen people leave the gospel, and the only way you can do that is if you never believed in the first place. Here's what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He said, they went out from us, 
but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they are not all of us. Now, it says, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you know the word actually is stared at? Stared at. Him who is invisible. They persevered in staring at him who is invisible. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you seem not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now to see means to discern. You perceive him. You discern him. You have some understanding. Let's put it this way. When you hear someone described in, the pre- in preaching that's not him, you know it because you know him. That, you know all things. You have an unction from the Holy One and understand and know all things. You know him enough to when you hear something that's contrary to his character and violates his character, you know it and you won't have it. Because you know him. You see him who is invisible. He is the visible uh, image of the invisible God. Now, faith is believing him whom you don't see. It is believing what you do not see. Now, I believe... Right now, while I'm talking to you, I stand before God having never sinned. Well, how can you say that when you have? Because Jesus Christ put away my sin, made it not to be, and gave his righteousness to me. I can't see that. Somebody says, you don't look like that to me. I can't see it either. But I believe it. I believe what I cannot see. I can't see that I stand perfect before God. I can't examine my life in the last 24 hours and say, well, that was pretty good. No, I don't see this in any form. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. Uh, I'm aware of the new man. Do I see a new man that's without sin? No, but I'm aware of him. The reason I believe, the reason I love Christ, the reason I rejoice in him is because of this new man he's given me. But we believe, we endure, we persevere, seeing him who is invisible. Persevere by believing what we cannot see I love the scripture I just quoted whom having not seen you love I've never seen him I love him 
I can say with Peter, and you can too, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love your person. Do I feel like I love you enough? No, I ought to love you infinitely more than I do. If I loved you the way I should love you, I'd never sin again. I'd, I'd be without sin. And that's not the case. So I don't think my, I, I don't trust my love for you as, as, as what it ought to be. But I admire, I adore, I see as glorious your person. I trust your salvation. Moses endured. He persevered as seeing him who is invisible. Now, like Moses, every believer, we forsake Egypt. We forsake Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, men. We persevere as seeing him who is invisible. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in Christ's name that you would give us the supernatural grace to forsake Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but enduring and persevering, seeing him who is invisible. Lord, how we thank you for him. And while we don't see him, we believe him and we rest in this, that he is our savior, that he is our redeemer, sitting at your right hand, making intercession for us, making us perfect before you. And we give thanks for him. In his name we pray, amen.